Good morning from Zurich. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brule. Coming up over the next 60 minutes, my guest, Juliet Lindley, but also some new faces and names around the table. Samuel Schumacher is here and also Adrian Garcia. They'll have all of their views uh, on the weekend's biggest stories. But Juliet is beside me. We need a dependable voice to get this show kicked off. Good morning. Good morning, Tyler. So, as you know, of course, the Pope's been creating a set of new cardinals. The I didn't, but anyway. Sure, exactly. And you probably also know that one is Swiss. So I'm going to look at this gentleman from Canton Valais, who was a former Vatican ambassador in several countries, including Argentina, where he befriended the Pope back in 2012. Very good. Uh, lots to look forward to on the Vatican front. Also, our editor-in-chief, Andrew Tuck, will bring us the latest view from London, maybe beyond. And we'll also have the latest from Bangkok from our correspondent, Gwen Robinson. Sawadee Carr from Bangkok. This is Gwen Robinson for Monocle Radio, and I'll be bringing you updates from Thailand, Indonesia, and elsewhere in the region soon. Thanks for that, Gwen. Also, the designer, Alfredo Heberly, joins us to present his latest project, a Swiss-made golf club made out of carbon. It's the 1st of uh, October, 2023, live from Zurich. This is Monocle on Sunday. Live from Zurich, this is Monocle on Sunday with Tyler Brule. And good morning from a very beautiful uh, Zurich. You, you sort of heard the slip up at the top. I almost thought it was August. It feels like August 1st, but it is indeed uh, October 1st. Uh, and I'm very happy to say Juliet Lindley, of course, uh, is here, which is uh, absolutely a delight uh, to have you by our side, uh, Juliet. Also, Adrian Garcia, uh, new voice uh, around the mic. Good morning. Bonjour. Bonjour. Very Bonjour. nice to see you. I'm super. Merci. Uh, and also, I'm very happy to say uh, as well, uh, Samuel Schumacher uh, is here, uh, international correspondent for the Blickzeitung, uh, which is kind of our neighbor newspaper uh, d- down the street uh, as well. Good morning. Nice to see you. Good morning, Tyler. Uh, maybe we'll start with you and we'll work our way back around uh, the, the table. Uh, a, a day in the life of a foreign correspondent uh, for, for Blick. Uh, where does it take you around the world? Where has it taken you most recently? Well, that's taken me down to the Horn of Africa. I just came back from a short trip I did to Somalia, um, where, uh, you know, the, the situation is dire. Millions of people are fleeing from the Al-Shabaab uh, terror uh, militias. There's a, a new drought that is basically, you know, creating a lot of trouble for the farmers down there. And sort of one of these unreported or underreported stories that, you know, in a, in a time where everyone in Switzerland is raging about a couple of a percentage raise in, in our uh, national uh, insurance premiums, healthcare insurance premiums, it's a good thing to, to remember or to remind ourselves that uh, some of these other humans on, on this planet Earth are suffering from some more serious stuff than we are here in Switzerland. And uh, this uh, reportage has already hit page uh, already, or you have yet to file it? It has that this morning, actually. I think it'll be online at uh, noon. Uh, you can read it in the Sunday uh, edition of Blick. That will be Sontag's Blick. Very good. Uh, listeners, uh, Blick.ch, uh, Blick.ch, uh, if you're listening uh, anywhere uh, anywhere around the world. Um, Adrian Garcia, uh, you you were here some weeks ago. Uh, we did uh, a, a podcast uh, for your program, uh, The Bold Way. Tell our listeners, uh, what does your uh, program uh, seek to do? It, it is a podcast. You're talking to the creative uh, community. But there are many shows that do that all over the world. Uh, do you just do it with a French accent or, or what's different about what you do? <laughs> exactly. Uh, I do it with a French accent. I do it from Paris, where we have a, a fantastic creative uh, class there. Um, I just come back on Pathway, you know, but what interesting me is... Uh, Oh, you made it actually. Oh, do you made it to the top, etc., uh, etc. Et so this is my, <laughs> my 
my only difference. Very good. Uh, Juliet, <laughs> everyone knows what you do. Uh, I mean, aside from your sort of your, your, your former Vatican uh, gig as well, we're going to be talking about uh, Cardinals uh, today. Uh, but we, we sort of, we're, it's really odd, isn't it, in this city? Because we, as I said, it sort of feels very summery. And now also schools start to go off on holidays. And um, yeah, it, it feels like we're in this sort of, kind of like smooth groove again uh, for a few weeks where everything is a little bit quieter, the, the sort of the city will calm down. Are you going away? Are you heading back to Italia? We are actually heading to the UK. So I'm going to be popping by Midori House, be warned. And um, that time has come to start showing universities to our eldest daughter. So yeah, stunning, no? Shocking. And she's, but- and she's voting, she's voting UK. This is, this is where, yeah, she, or, or, you're, or you're voting as, as It's funny, she said, parent. you know, with Trump and this whole Biden story and everything, did I'd she, rather not really, go to the did, US. Did and she I really thought, say that? For, yes, but okay. for our wallets, I think that's a great decision in any case. Although I must say that UK fees have now gone up so much more than when we were in the EU. But um, when the UK was in the EU. But yes, so she's looking at London and possibly a few out of London, like maybe Durham or Exeter. Let's see. Very good. Um, we're going to be talking to our editor-in-chief, Andrew Tuck, in a moment. Uh, but as you heard in the news headlines at the top uh, earlier this morning, a uh, suicide bomb uh, went off uh, in the Turkish capital, Ankara. We're going to cross uh, right now to Istanbul to our correspondent there, uh, Hannah Lucinda Smith, uh, to bring us uh, the latest from there. Good morning, uh, Hannah. Good morning. Uh, just uh, tell us, obviously, this is something which is uh, what, uh, at least if you look at the wires, uh, something that was reported uh, in the last sort of yeah, hour, 90 minutes uh, or so. Uh, what, do you, uh, what do you have for us? Yeah, this is still very much breaking news, but we do have some details. So uh, the Interior Minister, Ali Yelikaya, has put out a statement uh, saying that uh, two people, he describes them as terrorists, travelling in a light commercial vehicle, which looks like a kind of uh, a people carrier looking at the, the television images, um, detonated a bomb outside the interior ministry in the centre of Ankara. Now, one of the people um, in that in that vehicle seems to have detonated a suicide bomb, killing themselves, also injuring a couple of security forces. Um, the other person in that car has been described as neutralised. That's a word that the Turkish state often uses. Um, it either means they were killed uh, or that they've been arrested. But there was gunshots heard after after that attack. Just looking at the news pictures now, we can see that vehicle. It's absolutely full of bullet holes. The windows are all kind of smashed. The other thing that we don't really know at the moment um, is which group has carried out this attack. Turkey, over the past decade, has been subjected to terror attacks, both by the PKK, which is a Kurdish separatist organisation, also by ISIS as well. Um, But that hasn't been the case for quite a long time. The last large-scale terror attack here uh, was New Year's Eve 2016-17 at the Rainer nightclub um, here in Istanbul. So, you know, really, this is is quite a worrying development. This is something that Turkey hasn't seen for a long time. And this also comes, uh, and it's someone's somewhat symbolic as well, a return to Parliament uh, today. Uh, Do do we expect uh, that there will be some type of uh, claim uh, over the coming hours, Uh, obviously given, uh, yeah, the high profile uh, nature, uh, one detonating uh, themselves uh, and and, and a vehicle as well, you would expect uh, that uh, there would be some type of statement to, to, to follow reasonably swiftly? Yeah, we're expecting a statement, a full uh, a press statement from Ali Yelikaya within the next few minutes. But yeah, I mean, I, I think this is very clearly symbolic. The other thing that we don't really know is whether these attackers intended to attack the interior ministry or whether they were uh, targeting the parliament. They were heading in the direction of the parliament. So it could be, in fact, that they were kind of picked up um, as they passed the interior ministry. Um, I would expect some kind of statement, um, you know, claiming the attack 
fairly soon. It does have the hallmarks at the moment, I have to say, of a PKK attack rather than ISIS attack. You know, this happened on a Sunday morning quite early, not many people around and targeting Turkish state institutions rather than um, kind of civilian areas, which is what ISIS tends to do. But yeah, at the moment, we don't, we don't have any kind of claim of responsibility. And Hannah, with uh, Parliament returning, uh, and of course, if you are uh, an MP on either side of the, of the divide, top three, top two, or, or maybe just uh, the, the lead uh, issue uh, for, for the Turkish government at the moment uh, going into this new session? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, particularly for the opposition and particularly if, uh, you know, it does turn out that this is PKK or if it's pinned on the PKK, this is going to be really divisive. This is one of the things that in the national elections back in May that Erdogan really used to try and divide the opposition and it, and it worked. So the kind of main opposition had entered an alliance with uh, the main Kurdish party. That's a party that Erdogan says is linked to the PKK. And he really made a lot of that. He said, you know, this shows the opposition is supporting terrorism, uh, you know, is, is not serious about combating the, the terrorists that operate on Turkish soil. Um, so particularly if this does turn out to be a PKK attack, I think, you know, a lot is going to be made of that. Hannah Lucinda Smith, our, our correspondent for us in Istanbul. Thank you very much uh, for that. Uh, we're going to uh, jump over to uh, to London uh, right now as well. Of course, our, our editor-in-chief, Andrew Tuck, um, is standing by, uh, busy, sleeves rolled up, uh, getting a November issue out the door. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Tyler. Yes, uh, sleeves. Uh, well, I'm actually in a T-shirt. So can you roll okay, up the sleeves? Good. So you, you could, but it might look like a tank top or something then, so... Yeah, you might have to put your cigarettes uh, yeah, up, up the sleeve uh, as well. Uh, Andrew, I just, uh, I just came from the, the airport uh, actually just, just an hour ago. Uh, we're in that season right now where, of course, uh, you know, all, all the titles are out on, on newsstand. I was very happy to see, of course, that Monocle uh, front and center at the kiosk, uh, at least at uh, Terminal 1 uh, in, in, in Zurich. But we're already getting November uh, out the door and uh, maybe just a bit of a sneak preview for our audience. Uh, what's going to be, uh, yeah, what's going to be on page? Well, it's a, a bit of a, a design special, and it's, it's a really interesting issue because a story I think uh, initially was uh, from yourself. We, we got uh, Nick Manise to get in a car and go with a photographer and just drive across the Czech Republic or Czechia. And it's amazing. It, it brought home to me what, you know, why we started this magazine under the, the idea that just being out there and not following the path that everybody else follows brings you revelations, insights, and it's just amazing to see the places they stopped off at, you know, bicycle factories, glass blowing factories, meeting architects and designers as they crossed the length of the country. So it's great to see that that idea of design coming alive on page and then just great interviews. We have a Shigurban in this issue. We, all, we have a Raymer Ruffini from Montclair, a really interesting interview with him about the scale of that brand, you know, 600 million pounds, uh, euros rather in profit last year, an extraordinarily powerful company. So uh, it's exciting to see it. Andrew, I just wanted to ask that you heard the news headlines uh, that there was this uh, gentleman who was stopped uh, in a Skoda driving through Slovakia with, with a dog in the front seat, or maybe the dog was even driving, we don't know. This couldn't have been uh, connected to Nick Manis, our design editor. What do you think? 
<laughs> Maybe you cross the border. But it, was, it must be tough for journalists today in Slovakia knowing what the big story is. Is it the, is it the new leader of the nation and his Moscow ties or, or the dog in the car? It's, like, it's hard to know which, which one to follow. Indeed. And if we were looking at the, the, the papers uh, and uh, what's uh, dominating headlines, I know we've got a Conservative Party conference uh, getting underway. We are, it's conference season um, in the UK right now. Uh, we, we certainly see a Conservative uh, Party yeah, trying to pull out uh, yeah, a, a variety of, um, yeah, you could say sort of new tricks out of the bag uh, to, to, so they can uh, keep their heads above water. But uh, what's dominating headlines there? Well, that's true. It's fascinating. The, the, the Tory party conference coming up. So they're trying to once again pitch Sunak as a, a credible leader, as somebody who has a, 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 an idea of what the country should look like. But when you read all the stories, the difficulty is that most of the things they're taking opposition to. So they're going to say that they don't want any councils allowing staff to work four days a week, that they don't want to push ahead with what's seen as anti-car measures. They want to roll back on environmental promises which is all fine, and, and it will appeal to some constituents. But my feeling is that actually, even when you're maybe on the right, maybe you're sceptical about many of these things, you still have children, grandchildren, who are going to be putting the pressure on you. You still don't like the idea of just giving up on things. You want to know what the, the alternative view is. And I don't think that he's very good at kind of articulating what that is. And it comes in a really funny week. You know, the, when you, you read the press here, it's not a great moment for Britain. It, there's a story today that uh, about thefts from stores, for example. So when you look at um, the co-op, a, a big chain here, they're reporting that they have a thousand theft incidents a day across their stores, some 30 million um, pounds worth of goods stolen in the first six months. We had a terrible stabbing of a schoolgirl uh, on a bus this week. And then the felling of this very famous, almost sacred tree for Britain, the, this, the, the, the Sycamore Gap tree. And I think it's got everybody this weekend in the papers questioning in a bit about what Britain is, where it's going. Again, back in this, this, this tumble we get into again and again and again, wondering who we are and what our purpose is. And we're going to come back to you in a moment because you maybe won't be surprised um, if, we, if we cross the channel to, to France. Uh, Adrian, you've got a couple of stories, but was it the cover of, of Le Point or something which was a, a bit of a celebratory uh, story for, for, for France? Exactly. Um, this week, I was captivated by Le Point cover. C'est français que le monde nous envie. These French people that the world envy us for. Featuring actress, actress uh, Camille Cotin on the cover. You know, I guess it's the same ambience everywhere in Europe and, uh, and, and it's the same in, in the UK. Um, we engage in a French bashing all year long through the media, the states of the politics, the hospital. According to the public opinion, nothing seems to be working anymore. But every other month, an article pop up about... How great we are. This week, it's Le Point, turns to cheers up us with 35 pages covering every single aspect of the society. Uh, each illustrated by a portrait of one of our champions. Academy Française, cinema, physics, mathematics, tech, AI, cloud computing, <laughs> Olympics, hospitality. Uh, a lot of subjects are covered. And oh my goodness, we are accomplished, Tyler. We are so good. You know, it feels so good to be French. I was considering to move to Zurich. But no, I've decided to stay in Paris. Okay, good. Your train's at 6.21. Andrew, <laughs> Andrew, first, I mean, we've had some dealings with the Elysee in, in Paris. Does this sound like, you know, 
classic let's get uh the spin doctors uh let's let's get the, the the prs out there let's get them talking to all the editors uh and and let's get 35 pages about yeah how great france is and would the same thing happen in this in in the uk would you know would you see someone you know going and having a conversation uh, you know with the editor at, at the times the mail or, or somewhere else or does it does it seem peculiarly or particularly french to you no, I, I think you, you occasionally see these stories coming out, reminding British people that we're, we're all great. But what, the funny thing is, you know, is you know, it, how fascinating that, that that same questioning is happening in France. It's definitely happening in Germany. And, and there's some common threads there. You know, the, the economy has been shaking lots of places. We're questioning what happens around immigration. So there's some big things in people's minds. And I think for everywhere where you go across Europe, maybe there is a little bit of questioning going on. I, I saw a nice story out of uh, Germany this morning. Uh, we'd just been in Munich and they were saying that actually despite all the problems in Munich, that people are celebratory. And if you go to the, the Oktoberfest, it's the best Oktoberfest that it seems they've ever had. Some one million people went to events on the first weekend alone, up from 700,000 last year, despite the cost of beer. But so you find these positive stories, and I think people are latching onto those, but there is an interesting conversation happening across much of Europe. Um, just, um, I, I will. I, I want to come back to you, uh, to Adrian, um, in in a moment um, uh, as well. But Samuel, um, w when you hear these types of stories, and of course, there's there's also you know there's soul searching uh, in Switzerland uh, as well. Because uh, of course, your newspaper, it's a popular title. Uh, yes, you have a, a, a French uh, component uh, to the paper as well. But this is a, it's a German language paper in German sw Switzerland. Um, do you, do we see that same type of narrative uh, here? Uh, as, as well, because I mean, of course, Switzerland likes to sell itself on 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 stability, uh, but also there is a degree of soul searching right now. Maybe not the same type of hand wringing that's happening north of the border uh, in Germany, or maybe if we if we head west towards France. But do you feel that here in Switzerland too? Yes, particularly now, a couple of weeks, um, you know, before the, the national elections are going to happen on the 22nd of October. This is going to be the, the big soul-searching moment for our country. Every four years we do that. And I think this time around, you know, the debates have sort of been shallow, I'd say. Yeah, that, that in a way shows you that people here are less concerned when it comes to stuff like the economy, stuff like international affairs, than maybe people in Germany. And, and one topic that I think that will, you know, be... Um, uh, sort of a cornerstone of the of the Swiss social searching at the moment is is the whole neutrality topic. That's something that is basically, you know, uh, really uh, one of the big big topics. I think this week again, when you look at uh, the United States, that sort of you know wants to stop uh, funding Ukraine with this latest stopgap bill. When you look at Slovakia, that has now elected a party that says we're not going to help Ukraine again. Switzerland has really never helped Ukraine in any way. You know, there was some humanitarian aid, but there were no vests. There were no um, uh, tanks, there was nothing like that. And I think that whole sort of neutrality thing that Switzerland has, you know, been holding on to for decades now, this is sort of, you know, getting on some people's nerves, other people want to want to stick to it. And I think that's, you know, what we are focused on right now. Juliet, um, let's stay in the world of small countries, uh, but also with a Swiss link as well. Uh, take us to the Vatican. Let's go to the Vatican. They've just created 21 new cardinals. What does that mean? Why is that important? You will surely be asking that. And it's about optics. No, I'm kidding. I mean, it is quite stunning to see these bright scarlet robed gentlemen. And you do know that the red stands for their willingness to die for the faith. I just love that bit. But yes, 21 new cardinals of which 18 are under the age of 80 because there are <laughs> numerous who are over the age of 80. Why is that important? Because if you're over 80, you can't vote. And so it's kind of interesting to always look at 
which cardinals um, are, are created because it's a sign of who the Pope wants to choose his successor. So, of course, he has chosen uh, allies and um, he's chosen them from all countries, all corners of the world, not all countries of the world, all corners of the world, because he always talks about the peripheries and the importance of diversity. So he's even chosen, um, okay, uh, from Argentina, from the US, Italy, France, Spain, but also from South Sudan. Half of South Sudan are Catholics, so that's around six million, so that's interesting. And also a gentleman from Switzerland. Now, um, he's called uh, Emile Paul Cherig, he's from Valais, and there was a little interview that I watched on Swiss TV. How old is he? Italian. Uh, he is below the age of 80. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what is interesting is that he knew uh, Pope Francis back when he was Archbishop of Buenos Aires back in 2012. Uh, Cherig was the um, papal envoy, which you call the Apostolic Nuncio, the ambassador of the Vatican there. And he was ambassador in numerous other countries. And of course, he's being asked, what are the challenges that the church faces? We're all looking at that. And he says, well, we've got to reform the church from the inside. So Catholics look to the peripheries and the people on the peripheries are going to try and reform the church from the inside. He also said he's proud to be Swiss, and it's great that even though Switzerland is a small country, he said it has a lot of specialties and it has excellence that it can offer the world. So just tell us, uh, amongst this 21, I, I'm, I am curious, um, is anyone close to the age of 21? No. <laughs> That's such a great question. I'd say no. Okay. And, and who's the most handsome? Oh my goodness! Now you're okay. Well, you can do a little spot. bit of a little bit of research uh, around that. Okay. And Andrew, Andrew, I don't know. I don't know if you have your your screen flipped up back back in London uh, as well, and uh, and helping uh, helping us answer this uh, this, uh, this this crucial uh, question. Andrew, um, just uh, as we as we look across uh, the autumn season, as you said, of course, we've got our November issue uh, coming up, uh, which will hit newsstands. Well, I guess we'll go to press in Germany this week, so we'll get hot copies um, in in about uh, ten days. Uh, Time. But I just I, I want to go back to um, you know, we, when we touched on this a little bit last week as well. You're spending a lot of time um, in Spain, and I, I don't want to maybe go back to the same question about the same type of soul searching that is, that is happening in places. But it, it, it is interesting, you know. You've been such a chronicler of, of looking at you know the crises that we see in many other places, and we know that Spain has had a had, had a tough ride. But you know, when I was in both Seville last week, we were there for a big distribution conference, um, did two stops um, through through Madrid, and was talking to people in the service industry. And it was just interesting, as they move into this autumn season, they come out of summer. It was amazing how, I would say, just positive people are about the state of Spain, and also the, the foundation elements you need, of course, to support one of the biggest parts of the economy, that being service. And I'm wondering what your take is on that. Well, I think there's a few interesting things. One, in many of these places, the season just extends and extends. So that what was seasonal work is less seasonal now. So many of the hotels, for example, in Spain, especially in Mallorca, they're running much longer. And in places like Parma, the key restaurants in the city stay open, obviously, the whole year round because they have a good local audience of Spanish people, of Mallorquins, but also of expats staying in the city. So I think in those sectors, people have been very positive. They've had a very, very good season and, and I don't think they see anything changing uh, in, in the numbers of tourists coming to the island so all those things I think you're right are, are very good but many of these some of the jobs in these industries are a little bit low paid and I think you, you, you always worry a little bit in some of these places that you get a bit of a, a two-tiered world of the owners of businesses and the and the people coming in and, and and some of the workers but 
said saying all that there's something about spain that it just you know we've talked about this Tyler, before i many many years ago there was a crisis in italy and i remember you and me being there and saying it's extraordinary that the the italian quality of life an italian summer the, the ability maybe to go to the beach the the quality of food that there are food markets somehow mitigates what would be a a, a miserable experience in a, a cold wet british city and i think the spain is the same that even though prices did go up they didn't go up as much as elsewhere that you know that the, there was always plentiful fruit and veg at good prices and things so i don't know the economy people still always seem to be a bit a bit happier in a way than than their their northern neighbors i guess sunshine probably plays a a small part in that doesn't it andrew yeah definitely and that's why we include it in the quality of life survey when we we look at cities where you have good weather it does affect how people behave because you're not holed up at home you're you're out in the streets you're with people you you go to the park that the the way that you live changes yeah, I think sunshine is definitely a, a, a key factor, not too much of it in August, but a, a key factor. But yeah, I think that when you look at the hospitality industry in Spain, it's, it's, it's vibrant and the number of openings I see in, in Palma and in, in Mallorca is extraordinary. Andrew Tucker, Editor-in-Chief in London, uh, thanks very much for that. Uh, coming up in the second half hour, we're going to be talking about uh, golf, a new little invention. Uh, of course, uh, Andrew, being a keen golfer, is going to be sad to be uh, to be missing uh, that segment. Uh, and also, of course, we'll be heading to Bangkok. We'll be talking to our Gwen Robinson uh, there. But it is the bottom of the hour, 10.30 here in Zurich, uh, 9.30 back in London. Emma Nelson's there with the news headlines. Thank you very much indeed, Tyler. A suicide bomber has detonated an explosive device near to Turkey's Interior Affairs Ministry. The attack occurs just occurred hours before Parliament was scheduled to reopen in Ankara following a summer recess. A government shutdown in the U.S. has been avoided after the House of Representatives passed a stopgap funding bill. The U.S. government now has funding until the 17th of November, but includes no new aid for Ukraine. A pro-Moscow populist party, which has pledged an immediate end to military support for Ukraine, has won the parliamentary elections in Slovakia. France's government says it will take action after its capital, Paris, has reported a widespread rise in the number of bedbugs. The French transport minister says he'll bring together transport operators to reassure and protect the public. And NASA has begun a collaboration with astronomers in the Vatican City to analyse particles of the Bennu asteroid. Bennu has been called one of the greatest dangers to our planet because of the possibility that it could hit the Earth. The sample will be studied by a brother, Bob Mack, who's curator of the Vatican Meteorite Collection, who says he likes to show science can be used to adore and worship God. And those are the headlines. Back to you, Tyler, in Zurich. Now, Emma, did you set that uh, story up just to, to bait us? Because we have a very special uh, <laughs> guest in the audience today, Benu Benozog, of course, uh, our, our former uh, defence correspondent contributor. Uh, he obviously misses his time getting up early on a Sunday morning to be around the microphone here. He's here. So was, it, was that the whole idea, the, the Benu Benu link? Well, also, well, I'm not quite sure because Benu is supposed to be one of the greatest threats to Earth because it could hit us. So I'm not quite sure. But I know that Beno isn't allowed to talk on the radio because of his no, job. No, he's not. So, and, and, well, and we know that Ben Beno's job is, of course, to identify what are going to be the greatest threats to Earth. So there is a link there of some, of some sort. I'm interested in Bob, Bob Mack. I don't think he's one of the new cardon- cardinals. but I, he, uh... pro- Probably not. <laughs> Emma, you're always quick on, on, uh, on the screen and the keyboard. Have you pulled up the 21 cardinals? No. Do you want me to do that right now? Well, uh, well listen, listen. <laughs> you can come uh, we, back to me in a minute. We, we can come back in 13 minutes. We can do a news check in it uh, <laughs> toward, to a quarter, quarter to the hour uh, to see what we have there. Um, but Juliet's standing by. She's got another very important story for us out of Italy, I believe. Juliet. 
Well, if it's not the Pope, it's the Mafia. So everyone loves a good, good Godfather theme on a Sunday morning. And this is the FT's obit on Matteo Messina Denaro. So he's died after nine months in captivity. And um, it's kind of interesting to look at how this gentleman who was not a gentleman he was a top-end total brute but how he kind of shifted uh cosa nostra the mafia's focus from warfare to wealth so this is the guy who um orchestrated the devastating the tragic car bombings in 92 that killed italy's most famous anti-mafia prosecutors now that was giovanni falcone and paolo borsellino um heroes massive heroes in our country and um he was given multiple life sentences multiple life terms in prison, but he only spent nine months uh, before dying of cancer. He was, in fact, caught in January uh, entering a private uh, health clinic in Palermo where he was going for treatment. So what he did was, in shifting Cosa Nostra's focus, he set up his own mafia strategy based on business rather than attacking, um, doing attacks against the state. He modernized the mafia's business uh, operations, invested in companies like a Sicilian supermarket chain, uh, real estate, construction, and alternative energy companies. So If you think about it, he was the son of a local uh, mafia clan leader who actually was said to have made his money by plundering ancient Greek and Roman antiquities back in the day. Very, very in vogue. Um, Very in vogue. And now Messina Denaro, he was a bit of an eminence grise because he was such a genius at evading arrest. But he figured out that the mafia could do business invisibly, so without bloodshed. And as his biographer put it, who was quoted in the in the article, in the Financial Times article, well, if you don't see the blood, then you forget that the mafia exists. And it's true that the mafia is so much less in the headlines than it was, say, when, when we were much younger in the 80s and 90s in Italy. Uh, are you concerned? I just want to go uh, over to Dave. Adrian, and I'm, I'm fascinated. Emma, I might want to bring you in on this uh, as well while you uh, look for all of the uh, the good-looking cardinals. Uh, but this story uh, out of France, of course, this bed bug uh, issue. Now, is this because there are there's too much, I don't know, heavy upholstery uh, on, on French buses and, and trams, uh, and therefore you have the bugs on them? Of course, Samuel, you know, we've solved this problem in Zurich. There was, a, there was you know, quite an outcry because we used to have wooden seats in the trams uh, in Zurich, and then they went to upholstery, and now they've gone back to being wooden again. Um, so I think maybe that also sort of helps fight part of the bed bug problem. Are you concerned when you go back to Paris? You've said, you know, you, you, you're not interested in Zurich. So that's fine. So, on y va. Uh, so, when you, when you, maybe you don't take the tram in Paris. Maybe you walk everywhere. I don't know. But uh, I bike. Yeah. Okay. So, so are you concerned about bed bugs on, on public su- transport? I'm super, I'm super concerned. Uh, I'm taking the, the, the Thalys or the SNCF TGV uh, back to, to Paris. So, I am very concerned. And I've got uh, quite a few friends who had, who had this issue uh, at home, you know, bringing back uh, from the public transportation some, some bugs. It's, it's quite frightening because it's, it's a nightmare to get rid of that. Yeah, well, yeah it's, it's a, you need to sort of shut down and fumigate. Emma, do, do you have any, aside from the Cardinals, do you have any uh, details on that? Because is, is this the story that they're focused on, the transport uh, you know, off of this, I guess, I would assume, upholstered seating and then um, the bed bugs living on your trousers, skirt, and then bringing them home? Well, I'm, awful I'm, story, awful story. Awful, awful story. And I'm concerned how, how concerned Adrian is as well. I mean, he, <laughs> he, he sounds as if, you know, this is something that we all need to really worry about. And at le- and also the, the French transport minister, Clément Bone, has, has said, um, you know, no one is safe, he said. <laughs> um, you can catch bed, work, bed bugs anywhere and bring them home. And this is the second time that this has happened. Uh, because apparently three years ago, there was an anti-bed bug campaign. I wonder if Adrian recalls this. Because it's included a dedicated website, an information hotline. 
hotline. I mean, I love the fact that there is someone that you could ring up to say that you've seen bedbugs in France. I mean, you can't get anyone to ring, pick the phone up anywhere in the world anymore. But but this dedication to ridding Paris of its bedbugs is, is, is really being taken seriously. But we should assume that uh, maybe France, as you said, also has bigger problems, despite, of course, the 35 pages of uh, celebrating how great you all are in Le Point. Um, I've got a, a less dramatic story. You know, uh, King Charles was in uh, in France a few we noticed, a few yes. days ago, uh, and there is uh, this journalist Marc Boger who's got a column in uh, M Le Monde. Uh, C'est peut-être un détail pour vous, perhaps a details for you, where he depicts the attire of uh, personality each week, and this week he's uh, he's, ta he's taking care of King Charles' um, uh, look. Uh, and what is interesting is King Charles, King Charles wa was wearing uh, sunglasses, Moscot sunglasses, the crystal variant of the Lemtosh model. Uh, his suit was tailored um, by the London service world Anderson and Shepard. And the King of England uh, had... Um, a fresh, a fresh white rose uh, in the bottom, bottom hole of his jacket. And last but not least, he was wearing um, uh, a parapluie, an umbrella uh, from Swain Adenay. Yes. Do you know this? But what about the, the neckwear? Uh, you're going you're to give us the punch on it that it was Hermes, no? Or, or, or the footwear was not French? No, no, there was no, no French thing on it. Okay. Incredible. You would have thought something, something in terms of... Uh, yeah, uh, some sort of détente would have uh, would have would have been part of the, uh, part of part of the mix. Um, just uh, Samuel, over to uh, over to you. Uh, just uh, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, I don't want to talk about bed bugs when you were in uh, in, in Mogadishu, but maybe 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 you want to maybe you want to jump in. Maybe before they send out their intrepid forward correspondence from Blick, there is a, a whole there must be a whole series of Swiss hygiene measures uh, before they send you out of the road. There are, but I can't get that picture out of my head of all the bad bugs that might be hiding in these, you know, purple and red uh, clothing things that all these cardinals are wearing. So I guess that, that might, you know, create create quite a bit of a problem for the Vatican then. Yeah, it could be. Julie, and Juliet's also got uh, photography for Look us. Look at him. Okay. Well. So, who, okay, so, we, we've no. got the, the, no, the tallies okay. are in. Go on, tell no, us. First of all, if you Google the best looking cardinal, they bring up the cardinal bird. So they think you're an ornithologist. But actually, he's not a cardinal, but in amongst all the Vatican Media, there is one gentleman who was almost always famously very good looking. He's now 67. He still looks good for his Baby. age. You're looking at his picture now. He's the ex-personal secretary to Pope Benedict. And he, Georg Genswein. He's from Germany, Freiburg. And everyone would always, you know, comment on him. The, the paparazzi would take pictures of him playing tennis. And I remember the famously there was a whole spread about Georg Genswein playing tennis um, in the gossip magazine. So there he is. Not a cardinal. Doubt he'll be made a cardinal because Francis cannot stand him. He wrote a tell all oh, really? as soon as Benedict died. But okay. he's top of the pops. Okay, well, that's good to know. Uh, time for us uh, to cross over to uh, Bangkok uh, right now. Our correspondent, uh, Gwen Robinson, was there. Uh, I saw Gwen uh, briefly when I was in Bangkok week before last. Week before last, Gwen, you were heading off to uh, to Indonesia, and uh, and you've you've you're already you're already back. So maybe maybe tell us uh, a little bit about uh, what what you spotted and saw, and what's uh, what's making news uh, in and around the Indonesian archipelago. Well, yes, I should say somebody car, but I, I, maybe I should say hello in Indonesian. Um, I was uh, I was in several spots around Indonesia, and uh, I think like everything, the flavour in Southeast Asia at the moment is this incredible comeback. I think of tourism, and I did start kick off in Ubud, uh, the hill 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 resort in Bali. Uh, and everyone there was saying, uh, the last time I was there was the tail end of COVID and everything was closed. 
it was so depressing. There was, and this time it was like transformed, full of Americans uh, uh, and Americans. So there was a real buzz there. And then moving over to Java and uh, into a, a remote archipelago of islands, Karimunjawa, um, you could see a, a real influx of more intrepid uh, travellers. I mean, that's a, a bit off the beaten track, but it's part of this program launched about five years ago that President Jokowi called the 10 New Balis. And I think the, the government has swung back behind that to put some money into infrastructure investment in these lesser-known areas as well. But have to say, Bali is, has roared back with a vengeance, and uh, it's very noticeable. But uh, also uh, coming in with uh, the timing here is uh, the presidential election is coming up in February, so throughout the country you could see a kind of beginnings of that buzz, uh, billboards everywhere, um, debates on TV, a lot of media coverage. So... I think, um, it, you know, it's such a vast contrast to, to my last visit. Gwen, you, you, you mentioned, of course, uh, yeah, presidential elections there. Of course, you've just, well, the, the elections were a while ago in Thailand. Uh, there now is a new prime minister in place. And, of course, you touched on infrastructure. And uh, we've, we've seen uh, pr- Prime Minister uh, Sreta, of course, uh, going up and down the country. And a lot of it is the, the conversations uh, with, with various regions in Thailand are about airport upgrades, uh, you know, rethinking tourism areas. Uh, this really seems to be probably one of the, the principal things that he's he's come out swinging on? Well, indeed. I think um, just to remind uh, listeners that Seta Tavisin was uh, kind of like the compromise candidate after these very troubled elections in, in May. We saw the uh, victory of a, a very young progressive party, which uh, finally uh, came to grief through, I think, a, a kind of um, banging up of the establishment. And finally, we've got a very unwieldy 11-party coalition. And at the top of it, is uh, a seasoned businessman, Seta Tavisin, who's never been in politics, let alone been anywhere near uh, a cabinet position, let alone prime minister of the country. But I think the fact that he is a veteran businessman, a uh, big property developer, has reassured a lot of the um, a lot of business and uh, other kind of circles related to that. That you know, perhaps now, on get on with it, get past all the disruptive politics and indeed Seta has made it a, a big priority in his early speeches. He's only been around for, for a matter of weeks um, but prioritising things like investment in infrastructure and uh, particularly stressing foreign investment which greatly reassures people but I think on the downside his party is an extremely popular set up initially by Thaksin, the, the disgraced uh, former Prime Minister who recently made a comeback and uh, therefore pursued some very populist promises during the campaign. And one of those is to hand out a free 10,000 baht, which is about mm, $300 digital uh, for every tie over 16. And already I think economists are saying, well, how is the government going to fund this and proceed with some pretty ambitious infrastructure plans? So there's a bit of questioning about that, but... Seta went off to the UN last week. The UN General Assembly made his maiden uh, speech, you know, his uh, inaugural appearance as Prime Minister. He said the right things, looks good, um, you know, talks well, speaks English, which unlike some previous Thai leaders. So, you know, I'd say that overall there's a, 
there's a bit of a grudging acceptance that maybe this will not be too bad for as long as this very unwieldy coalition lasts. Um, Gwen, just to finally before we go, the uh, it was interesting also flying into to Bangkok. It's you know when you spend a lot of time in Western Europe, uh, you don't see a lot of uh, uh, Russian tourists uh, clearly. Uh, then you touch down at Suvarnabhumi Airport, and you reminded uh, that, that Thailand is a country which is. Uh, you know, it's even amazing you see like a, a Aeroflot 777. I mean, you haven't seen an Aeroflot aircraft for a very long time, but there you are. Uh, and, and the Russians uh, are certainly, uh, I'm, I'm sure, sort of keeping uh, hotel rooms uh, busy, busy and booked. The country's also on a bit of an offensive as well, isn't it, to, um, to woo other countries. A lot of discussion about make ease of entry for, chi- for Chinese um, again, as much as other countries, correct? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought this up. Incredibly, just recently, we had out of the blue Thai government announcing a new program of visa-free entry for, would you believe, Chinese tourists and Kazakh, Kazakh people from uh, Kazakhstan, which uh, has left a lot of us got to the bottom of why Kazakhstan uh, would be a, a big priority for the Thai Tourism Authority, but that's the way it is. Uh, this is actually already unleashed, I think, a huge renewed interest from Chinese travel tour operators. Uh, It's very clear that Thailand doesn't want to go back to the bad old days of what they call zero-dollar tourism, of mass Chinese cheap uh, mass tours, but they're trying to attract desperately a kind of slightly higher level of Chinese uh, traveller. And already, I mean, the numbers are incredible. They've already exceeded Thailand's forecast for this year. So just to remind, they had they hit 40 million uh, arrivals just before the COVID year of 2020, uh, just before that. And, and now they've already projected uh, to come back this year with nearly 29 million arrivals. They've already hit 17 million in the first eight months of the year. So it's all looking good for them. And Seta, the new prime minister, knows that a key element of, you know, his efforts to revamp Thailand, attract investment, and uh, also revamp tourism. So I think we're going to see a lot of these new deals. And as you say, I mean, we've had this flood of Russians, and I was looking at the the plans for new flights are are just extraordinary. We've already got, I think it's 17 flights a week from, from Russia, but by the end of October, so in the next four weeks, it's going to go up to about 27 flights a week. And a lot of those are coming from non they're non-Moscow flights. They're coming from Kavarovsk, um, Vladivostok, places like that. And already, you know, people are calling Phuket, Phuketsky, because a lot of those flights are going straight into Phuket. And we're getting um, direct flights from this month from Saudi Arabia straight into Phuket also. So you can expect your little beach holiday in Phuket. to You'll be sharing that beach with... with um, you know, our visitors from the Middle East, are uh, a lot of Russians and uh, uh, who knows, Kazakhs, if there are enough of them to, to make a difference. Yeah, there is. There has to be, there has to be some, something behind that Kazakh story as well, maybe to do with energy or something else. Gwen Robinson, our, our correspondent in uh, Bangkok, uh, thanks very much uh, for that. You were listening to Monocle on Sunday. It's uh, just coming up to 1048 uh, here uh, in Zurich. And uh, of course, uh, Juliet Lenley is still with me. Uh, Samuel Schumacher from uh, Blick, uh, also Adrian Garcia from uh, The Bold Way. But I'm very happy uh, to say as well, a gentleman has just joined us around the table uh, who uh, is something of a neighbour, uh, but of course uh, also 
a very uh, familiar name and maybe face uh, as well to, to Monocle uh, listeners. Uh, anyone, of course, who focuses on the design community. I bumped into him recently. He told me about a fantastic new project. It was about a golf club that was developed in Switzerland. It was going to transform the game. Uh, and, and here he is, Alfredo Heberly, to talk us uh, through... Uh, Golfire, uh, your your new uh, I hope I pronounced it right. Uh, your 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 new project. Good morning, nice to see you. Good morning, Tyler. Uh, tell us uh, about this uh, extraordinary uh, new little uh, project, which is uh, which is about to, uh, of course, yeah, uh, hit hit sports stores uh, and and be de- unveiled. Yeah, I think the um, golf play it's one of the most beautiful game ever, uh, but at the meantime also the most difficult one. And I don't play golf. So I was asked 10 years ago if I, I think if I could help them, this uh, startup since 12 years, <laughs> a startup. And then, and then we, we, we just came together, extremely interdisciplinary uh, people. So it was like a profi, a pro, it was an engineer, it was the founder, uh, it was me. And we discovered that we really want to change the game. It's like such a beautiful game because People who are on different level can play together, which you don't find in another uh, sport. And uh, by that, we try to simplify the play, the, the game, to make it more playfulness. Um, to to say, hey, you are spending time in the free time, in the outside by walking around with peers, with your colleagues, with your competitor, whatever you want to call them, and you enjoy really for a half a day for some holes. And how can we bring back this joy to this game, which, at the, which is a little bit stiff and complicated? And that's a reason to make it really from today, to, to make it more con- temp- contemporary. And so that's a little bit uh, the starting point. Now, Alfred, we probably have listeners uh, around the world uh, who might be uh, you know, loading up the car. Uh, they might be heading out of the hotel room uh, to, to play a round of golf. What's the offer here? I mean, how, how are you changing the beautiful game? Uh, because obviously you are from an industrial design background. Uh, and I have to say, it is probably, it, it almost makes me want to get out and play, play golf because the, the imagery and the, the brochure uh, that you've uh, put out, I'm, I'm keen to get uh, Adrian's view on this, uh, is, mm-hmm. is so beautiful and so seductive. And as you said, it's completely modernized the game. I mean, it just, just image-wise as well. But what, what are you seeking to do? Yes, <clears throat> of course. Uh, how, I, how I told it, I, I'm not playing. Not, not yet. yet. I was going to say yet. when the the client, the founder, came ten years ago, I said, "Listen, with sixty, I will be next year. I will then start playing golf." And he was like, "Hey, Alfredo, but you are like just first meeting, and you already already all telling me that we need ten years to develop that." I said, "Listen, if I design a chair, I need three years. If I design a glass, I need two years. So if we really want to." Re- rethink golf then it will need some one decade and here we are so we went in in the market with the first club out of seven because uh, i was asking why do we have 14 clubs to play the golf for me it was so complicated so extremely complex so heavy so not modern so not light not minimal not nothing like that so he said yeah you have you are true i I mean it's just the history that started by adding uh, uh, um, another club and and then nobody really rethought it so i was like coming from the totally other side and i said okay how 
how many or how few do we need to play golf in a good way and, and walk through the, the, the green. And at the end, with the engineer, with the pros, we discovered that we really don't need so many. And that's, the, that's why we say seven is bigger than 14. Well, that's what you need, and that makes it enjoyable. That I don't we know have, if somebody plays golf. Yeah, I was, well, I was going to say, I think we should do a small poll around the table. There's some, there's some sort of nodding. I mean, Samuel, I see you smiling over there. Are you, are you a golfer? I'm not a golfer yet. I'm not 60 yet either. Maybe that's a good goal. And, you know, when you turn 60, you, you start playing golf. I, I would agree with that. I think it's an interesting time to re-innovate the, the play of golf, the game of golf, now that maybe the most famous golfer on earth is, is about to head to prison, maybe. You know, over in the United States, Donald Trump might lose his ability to play golf. So maybe that's, that's a good, um, you know, selling point. Now that he's out of the game, now that uh, that guy makes some space on the golf courts out in, in, the, in the world, uh, you know, but you it, get it, your seven clubs and, and hit the road. It, it has nothing to do with the age. And that's exactly something that I, I mean, we, we think it's for old people or so, something like that. And I, I really want to bring it back to younger people because it's joyful. I mean, I repeat, there is no play, no game that you can play with different levels. And this is the issue. I mean, Tyler, I don't know, you are not so sportive, I think so. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I wish, you know, we could play together. Listen, we are really worse. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> Sorry. I, I'm, I'm heading towards 60 as well. Now let's open up to the youngsters around the table. Uh, Adrian, golfer? No, 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 golfer at all. I, I, I've never done golf before but I, I, I but you're I, intrigued though by the process yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's sort of the, selling you know the code the code are very nice and you you, you took the code of uh, skateboarding of hiking etc yeah. and it looks very sexy and I want to be a golfer now yeah. but <laughs> that is exactly sorry Tyler but exactly the point because the pro that is since 12 years with us in the in the in my my personal assistant that is running this project they are both surfer and skateboarder so exactly i want to convince you guy mm. to come and play golf because it's exactly the the same feeling it's really enjoyable and joyful mm. that's you are in the nature about. yeah yes exactly that's uh, so that's Adrian, so i want you Ju juliet are, are you a golfer you've got a lot of like public, i do many golf a lot a lot of mini golf there's a, there's a lot there's well. a lot of birthday no, parties what, for those kids walk us through the name and um, so this is much lighter. Is that the whole thing that I'm walking around with seven? Clubs, and we should say it's G O L F Y R, listeners. That's the that's yeah, the spelling. Yeah, we'll That's like fire. We say it golf fire, fire for golf. But of course, we could also implement it in the north, and then you say golf fire. Yeah, <laughs> so the, the Swedes. The Swedes. I mean, they're they're big golfers. Anyway, we have to bring Emma back in. <clears throat> pardon me, in uh, in London. Uh, Emma, you've not seen obviously the literature uh, that's going around the table here uh, in in Zurich, but uh, already intrigued from afar. Well, if anyone can make se golf sexy, then I'm absolutely interested in this one. Like Juliet, I do spend quite a lot of time on a mini golf. Um, <laughs> course, and that generally requires wine before you'll even step anywhere near it. Um, I, I want. I wonder um, whether we can have a sort of a, com a complete overhaul, Alfredo. And you're clearly making the game wonderful, but touching on Donald Trump, can you make the people who play it a little sexier, please? And then, we'll, and then we'll all sign up. Well, they all look good in the brochure, but that was part of the casting, wasn't it? Yes, Alfred? yes, yes. No, no, no. Uh, don't worry. Give me another year or two. Not ten. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. We come up. We already have some, uh, some, some. Now, we also think about fashion as well. But I have to say that I'm extremely proud that we developed, that we designed and produced it in Switzerland, and it's the right place to do it. So everybody's laughing about it because golf is so big, so big. All the the, the industry, and we are just a small company starting with seven clubs 
against the big ones and this is done in Switzerland. I'm really proud of that because it's local and only Switzerland can do that, I think. Just heading to the end of the show very quickly, uh, are the clubs available yet or are they on the market already? Yes, we started now these days during the Ryder Cups, just 200 meters from here. Uh, you can play it there with the maker, that's the normal putter. And in spring, they will be ready to set the whole set. Excellent. Alfredo Heberle, very nice to see you. And uh, uh, we're very keen to see the development. I'm even more keen to see you in your fine attire uh, on, on the golf uh, golf green uh, as well. Uh, we're just coming towards the end of the show. Just uh, very quickly, uh, maybe a quick spin around for other stories. Uh, just uh, I want to go to you very quickly, um, to Samuel. Just uh, we've come off the back right now. We're talking about the elections in, in Slovakia. A little bit of a, of a swing uh, maybe towards a Moscow view. Uh, we're in a season of, yeah, this discussion about a little bit of fatigue uh, in terms of uh, the conflict, uh, of course, in Ukraine. Uh, does this shift anything right now in terms of the narrative out in the region? You know, I think it shifts, uh, you know, the, the big shift have, has happened this week, I think, with, with the United States, with Slovakia. If you look at the, the, the Swiss perspective on it, that has been sort of stable, uh, you know, we're neutral on the way. Um, I, I guess that right now when, when the freezing, when the winter season starts out in Ukraine, I'm, I'm about to head out to Ukraine again uh, in the middle of October. Um, uh, we will see sort of a freeze on the front line. Uh, there will be less stories coming out of Ukraine. There will be less success on the Ukrainian side as well. I think that is, is a big, big uh, threat to the Ukrainian cause that uh, people will uh, only get more fatigued, will only get more, you know, fed up with the whole story and that is a danger. We have to remember if, if uh, the Russians stop fighting, the war is over. If the Ukrainians stop fighting, Ukraine is gone. And that is, uh, I think, a real threat right now. Uh, Adrian, uh, very quickly, in well, less than 10 seconds, uh, the bold way, uh, our listeners, uh, which uh, the one podcast in English uh, they should be uh, looking out for, aside from the one that I did with you, of course. Uh, <laughs> I think yours is, is, is very good. I had, I had a very, very good feedbacks. Uh, I recently interviewed Stefano Martinetto, uh, the CEO of Tomorrow. Uh, this is a very good podcast. Uh, in English, I can't remember anymore. Um, but we've got so many good uh, guests coming. India Madavi, Ramdan Tuami, uh, Pirardi. Um, they're all in French. but <laughs> That's okay. That, I think that appeals to, to enough of our listeners uh, as well. Uh, Juliette. I'll be bringing you live from London in a couple of Very months. good. Along, alongside Emma Nelson uh, <laughs> as well. That's all the time we have for today. Juliet Lindley, Samuel Schumacher, uh, Andrew Tuck back in London, uh, also Emma Nelson, our Hannah Lucinda Smith also joining us from Istanbul. And our big thanks uh, to Gwen Robinson in Bangkok, also Alfredo Heberle, producers today, Desiree Bendley, uh, Emma Nelson back in London, also Mariella Bevan looking after the auto. I'm Tyler Berlay. Monocle on Sunday is back in this format next week. Goodbye. <laughs>